0: Today's episode is proudly sponsored by AquaPhoenix Scientific. Folks, I know what you're thinking. You already have a supplier for all of your test kit needs, and why would you switch? And let's face it, that is a fair question. Everybody's phenol failing is going to turn pink at 8.3 even Phoenixes, But here is the deal, and I can personally attest to this. I've been working with Aqua Phoenix Scientific for years, and I can tell you they are the experts for everything we need to be test experts out in the field. They can provide you with every product that you will need in your test kit by just calling them. That's right, one phone number, one purchase order, one stop, and you can get everything that you need for your test kits. Take it from me and give Aqua Phoenix a call today so you don't have to make all those other calls outfitting your test kit. Visit them online by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash APS. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of Scaling Up H2O. And folks, it's almost that time again. I'm talking about the hang that we are doing in conjunction with all the water treaters out there. And that is going to be on April 8th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Folks, this is one of my favorite things that we do. The AWT, the Association of Water Technologies, is helping us out with this. So you might have seen something come across your email if you are a member of the AWT. But this is something we do fairly frequently, I would say about every two months at minimum. And this is how we get to reach out and meet other water treatment professionals. So I know it's hard to do that with COVID going on, with all the things that we're not able to do that we used to be able to do that allowed us to network Well, folks, that is not an excuse anymore. And if you've been on a previous hang, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So if you are wanting to sign up for the April 8th hang at 6 p.m. Eastern time, and of course, why wouldn't you, you can do that by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang and all that information that you need will be right at your fingertips i can't wait to see you there well nation a new segment that we started this year that's become wildly popular within the scaling up nation is james's challenge we've learned so much from james's challenge now the goal with this is james each and every week He gives us a challenge and some of them are easy. Some of them don't take very long. Some of them take a little bit of research and take longer to do. But if we do all these, this is 52 things that is going to make you a better industrial water treater. Now, we've done things like an elution study on a water softener. We've checked for phosphate in the makeup water. We've made sure that our test kit is in the best condition possible. And I think one of my favorite ones is something that I try to practice myself. I love receiving handwritten notes. In fact, I've got a few that I've received from people that I still have. Uh, I've actually framed one that my wife gave me years ago. Folks, when you take the time to put pen to paper, it is amazing what that conveys to the person that receives that note. And that was one of James's challenges. He asked us all to write handwritten notes to some people that have helped us in the industry. And Nation, I was honored to be the recipient of several of those handwritten notes. I've also sent several of those handwritten notes. Well, this week is no different. We have another installment of James's Challenge.
1: Hello, Scaling Up Nation. The next James's Challenge, as we grow as an industrial water treatment professional, drop by drop, is... Research the Langelier Saturation Index, or LSI. Many of you use the saturation index to predict calcium carbonate scale formation, but there are strengths and weaknesses to it. Do you know what they are? Do you know the underlying assumptions? Do you know who created it? How does it compare to other predictive scaling indices? And why is it so popular? A little bit of Googling as you wait for your test to develop or between meetings or at home on your couch at night will help you better understand the Langelier Saturation Index. Be sure to share your experience on LinkedIn by tagging it with hashtag JC21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. This is James McDonald, and I look forward to seeing what you share. Well, folks, remember to hashtag
0: what you are doing and post on social media. Hashtag JC21 and ScalingUp H2O. And of course, next week, we'll have a brand new challenge for you. Folks, there's no doubt about it. One of my favorite things in this industry is meeting other people that are in this industry. So my next guest is somebody that has been in this industry for a few years But before he was an industrial water treater, he was one of our customers. Folks, I know you're going to enjoy this interview. Here is Sean McGrade. My lab partner today is Sean McGrade. Sean, I'm so excited to have you on the Scaling Up H2O podcast today. You and I have gotten to know each other through this past year. And I can't wait to introduce you to the Scaling Up Nation. But before we do, how are you doing? Good,
2: good, Trace. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, thanks again for extending the invitation to be a part of the podcast. I think it's cool how you've really helped embrace improvement throughout the industry. And, you know, the saying, a rising tide raises all both, is something that you really encourage and embrace. And for that,
0: I'm truly grateful. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And for somebody that has listened to the podcast as long as you, I want to thank you for getting past episode number one. Oh, no, it's, it's been awesome to see how the podcast has really developed over
2: the years. And, you know, some of those early episodes were the ones that got me truly passionate
0: and, and really excited about what I do on the day to day. Well, I know we're going to talk about that. But before we do, do you mind telling the Scaling Up Nation a little bit about Sean McRae?
2: Sure. Yeah. I'm 34. I uh, live in the Twin Cities metro area of Minnesota. I've uh, been in water treatment now for roughly six years. A little bit more about me. I'm an uh, avid musky angler. And for those of you who don't know in the Scaling Up Nation, that's a toothy you know, apex predator fish we have up here in, in the northern area. Fish of 10,000 casts, they call it. And, and sometimes I kick myself for you know, putting myself through the grind of trying to catch one of these elusive apex predator fish because it really can take a toll on you chucking those big baits all day long. I'm also a firefighter EMT. It's kind of one of my hobbies or it's a part-time job. Most of my shifts are on the weekends um, because depending on the night, it can really impact the next day if I'm up all night running calls. Basically we work 12 or 24 hour shifts. It's a 36 hour commitment per month and, you know, 90% of the calls
0: are medical related calls. So, but yeah, that's just a quick synopsis of me. Sean, I have to ask about these monster fish. So, you're you're out on the lake. What what are you doing? So, we're basically there's a, a ton of different ways to go
2: after them whether it's trolling or chucking these big lures. My preference is casting, you know most exciting part of it is these fish will actually chase your bait into the boat. And then that's the time where you have to play that little cat and mouse game with them, take it away uh, in something called the figure eight and try to entice them to bite the bait. Now are these good eating fish? No, these are, these are a sport fish. You don't harvest them. It's just for the sport aspect of trying to catch one of these elusive fish because You go out there and you don't get one every time. Sometimes you're lucky just to see some follow into the boat. And just because they're going to follow into the boat doesn't mean they're necessarily going to,
0: you know, eat per se. Well, and that's why they call it fishing and not catching. (laughs) Yes, you're exactly right. Well, let's shift gears over into water treatment because you weren't always a water treater. Tell us about what you did six years prior and how you got into the water treatment industry. Yeah, so this is a good story. And this is something I really want to kind of
2: encourage the rest of the nation to promote the fact that you don't have to, you know, have some real technical background to be successful and to get into this industry. So basically, I was a building engineer for a school district, um, had been there for, you know, roughly 10 years. I had been struggling, I had, I had been thinking that this wasn't going to suffice what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. So it just so happened that the school district I was working for was going out for bid, And due to this, there was a couple water treaters who came in to do surveys. While they're doing their surveys, I'm kind of picking their brain, um, you know, how did you get in the industry? You know, I had talked to many water treaters throughout my travels at the school district. And I'd, I'd always kind of been curious, you know, what did these guys do to land this job, you know? walking around with their test kit and their, you know, magical power cape. I was like, how do I become this person? So long story short, during those surveys, I picked their brains and just said, Hey, I'm curious. I'm interested. What did you guys have to do to get into this? And they basically let me know, you know, we all have a different story. Some of us are pipe fitters. Some of us are, you know, got into sales or accounting or real estate or whatever. And Oftentimes, as you know, people kind of fall into water treatment. Unless you have, you know, family or a history, that's something that is often passed down. But a vast majority of people kind of fall into the role. And once they're in, it's, they typically never leave. So by the end of these conversations, they both offered me a job, which I was kind of dumbfounded. I, I didn't expect that result. And I talked to a gentleman, Jay, first. So I wanted to honor my commitment to him because I kind of gave him a verbal commitment. Hey, you know, I'm really excited. Thank you for the opportunity. Did not, you know, in my wildest dream, think the next person I talked to would offer me a job as well. So I uh, started working with Jay over at, you know, a mid-market company, and my role was a service technician, and basically what that involved was helping alleviate you know, the load for him, whether it was uh, running pinks and blues, helping him, you know, without throughout his territory. And then they were also creating a service division to do some of these tasks. Oftentimes water treatment companies don't necessarily help out with whether it's, you know, cooling tower cleanings, boiler cleanings, new control installs and piping. And I mean, you basically name it. So, I did that and worked under Jay for about a year and a half. Throughout that time, I really looked at this role as an opportunity to really make something of myself. I wanted to take it to the next level. So I'd spend many nights, many weekends, face planted in a book, trying to soak up as much knowledge as I could, because I, I looked at it as my ticket to really make something in a lifeline if I could prove to, you know, my supervisors that I had the technical knowledge, I knew how to, you know, interact with customers, solve their problems, if I could gain a commitment from them to become a rep, that this would really take it to the next level. So yeah, after about a year and a half working under Jay, kind of really cutting my teeth in the water treatment industry, I kind of Let the upper echelons of the company know, hey, I really appreciate the offer or the opportunity to be a service technician. I'm really interested in taking it to that next level and being a full-blown rep. This involved, you know, some tests and quizzes and stuff just to kind of see where I was sitting and if I could, if I had the knowledge to kind of, you know, have them feel comfortable about me being a rep. So I did very good on all those tests and quizzes, and I think it kind of took them by surprise. They didn't know behind the scenes this whole time that I had been diligently trying to develop my technical knowledge. And long story short, they gave me the you know, thumbs up, and I was a rep. I was a rep for about another, I would say, two-ish years. And then they came back to me again and said, Sean, you're killing it. You're doing really good. We want to bump you up to be an account manager. And so when I was an account manager, things were a little bit different. The opportunities to get, you know, be in bigger accounts presented themselves. And yeah, the next step of this is I had to make a really tough decision. I'm a very loyal person and I had a lot of respect for this company really kind of taking a chance on me. There was news that a company by the name Corita, which is a global company, was coming into the US market. They had already acquired a company called Fremont, very innovative company, have a lot of you know, interesting patented technologies. So that fall of, I would say, what is it, 2019, I understood that they were going to acquire a company called US Water as well. And those two companies align very closely because they both share the same value of the integrated approach. Meaning, holistically, we're not just selling chemicals, we're really focused on water management as a whole. You know, water in to water out. How can we maximize and help our customers in all aspects of water management? A lot of that um, involves some pre treatment, you know, whether it's ROs or softeners, dealkalizers, there's all kinds of processes within a plant. Oftentimes people will focus on just the cooling or just the boiler, but there's a multitude of ways of avenues of how you can really truly help a plant with their bottom line. So long story short, that fall I accepted a job with U.S. Water, knowing that by the spring of next year, they were all going to come together under the Carita America name. And so here I am now, I work for Carita America, uh, six years later, and I'm super excited and thrilled to be a part of this company um, because there's a lot of innovative technologies. It's gotten me a whole lot more exposure to different applications and different plants and processes. And it's just continuing to develop my technical knowledge, something that I'm very passionate and you know hungry for, that's kind of what keeps me going, is this thought of continuous education or continual development. And I'm able to do that with Korea America. So that's pretty long winded, but I I just I also want to encourage the nation listening that I was a guy who didn't have any, you know, college degree or any technical background. I mean, the only college I really had was firefighter, EMT related. And, you know, fast forward six years, me being very dedicated to my craft, I've been able to be successful in this industry. And if there's any point I want to get across to the nation, it's that you can do the
0: same. Well, there you go. A whole bunch of stuff that I want to unpack with you. First, I want to start out. With you were a building engineer. do you feel that being in that industry, knowing the equipment, having to service the equipment every day, having to work on the equipment every day, that that helped prepare you for a career in water treatment?
2: I, I would definitely say so on a, you know a few different levels, just you know sympathizing with the day to day of these operators, you know, the only Water treatment isn't the only thing that they're monitoring or taking care of on the, on the day-to-day. So I can truly sympathize and understand some of the other things they're responsible to fulfill their, their job duties. Um, I also think that it, it gives me a different angle as far as relaying information. So I feel like the communication, the back and forth to kind of whether it's relay my findings... Talk about improvements, um, or or just as simple as not overwhelm somebody. Give them little bits of information every time I'm I'm performing a service visit. It really helps to empower them. You know, I look at it as they're an extension of me, and the more information and the more I can develop their knowledge, the better off we'll be as a whole. So, I I think being an engineer for you know a good part of my life. I think that that connection and to be able to relay things or, or really put myself in their shoes
0: ha- has definitely made me successful with what I'm doing in the day to day. So being a former building engineer, you have a vantage point that most of us don't have. You have seen water treatment from both sides. So I wanna ask you, what are some things you think water treaters get right when they're communicating what they need to communicate to an engineer? And what are some of the things that they don't quite get right? That's a good question, Trace. Um, I guess
2: I'll start with the wrongs. You know, some of the things I didn't really like a whole lot was just that poor communication or, I don't know, some, acting like you're smarter than them when you're, when you're trying to have a conversation about something. Or just as simple as w- when somebody has a question, not explaining it properly or just kind of shoving it off like you don't need to know all the facts, harboring information, the wrong approach of just not empowering that that individual. That really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And then just you know having the standpoint of, hey, I'm just here to sell you chemistry and not really taking that step back approach of, how can we improve things as a whole? It's not just chemical. You know, there's, there's a multitude of ways we can really help to reduce, you know, whether it's water use, fuel costs. I just really didn't like having a water treater that didn't take it to that next level and always want to continue to improve the program per se. And, and some of the rights were, you know, being patient with, with your customers, Or me at that time, being cordial, explaining things in layman terms so I could grasp
0: what they were trying to, you know, the information they were trying to relay. Yeah, I can't agree more with terms. There is this allure in our industry to use multi-syllabolic words in our common language when we're talking to a customer. And I think people think it makes us sound smart, but if the person doesn't understand what we're trying to convey, there's nothing smart about that conversation. Exactly.
2: You're, you're not able to get your point across, and ultimately, you're not really speaking to that
0: customer in a way that they're going to be receptive. So you've been in the industry about six years. What's your day-to-day like? Well, my, my day-to-day
2: definitely varies from day-to-day. Every day is not the same. And there's many hats I need to be able to wear throughout the day to be successful. Whether it's, you know, sitting down with decision makers doing, you know, proposals or business reviews or having those high level talks of how can we make improvements? Are there some capital budgets or plans that that we need to talk about on a project list to continue to make things better for the plant? And then there's, you know, the other hats where I need to be an electrician. I need to know how to wire up a probe or a controller or troubleshoot something, look at something from a mechanical point of view and diagnose, hey, do we have a flow issue or is there a mechanical reason why something isn't performing how we want? So I'd say the day-to-day is never the same. And there's, you know, a ton of hats we need to be able to wear to be successful. And that's part of the fun. You know, not a whole lot of jobs out there do you need to possess so many different traits or skills in order to bring that value to your customer.
0: I totally agree with that. I was at a a meeting once uh, with the Association of Water Technologies, and a young man came up to me and said that he just thought his job was boring. And I said, well, you're not doing it right, and it sounds like you need to find something else because doing this job for more years than I care to announce on the show I will say I have never been bored in this career. Yeah, a day doesn't go by where, where you don't see something different or exciting
2: or, or have to put your thinking cap on, you know. We, we see so many different things. And that's also part of the fun is we, we get that front row seat to, you know, the show how it's made. And, you know, you could be going into a, a dairy or a semiconductor plant or a plastics, you know, you name it. Well, we get that behind the scenes look to
0: see how that all comes together. Yeah. And it's even better than the How It's Made TV show because the people that are working there, they're so proud to show off what it is that they make. And to get those private tours, there are not that many jobs that allow you to get paid while you do that. Definitely. And and one thing I've learned
2: throughout that is, is if you just sit back and let them show you and let them walk you around the plant that's a huge way to build trust, build that relationship. You're exactly right. People are very proud and and take pride in what they do. And if you kind of just sit back, let them kind of lead the conversation, it's amazing, you know, some of the conversations you can have. And that really helps to develop those bonds and, and relationships,
0: you know. Absolutely agree. Sean, what would you say your biggest success as a water treater has been so far? You know, not thinking about some of the
2: ways I've helped my customers, you know, kind of taking that off the the table. The biggest success I can think of is in 2018, I got rep of the year at the prior company I was with. And I think a big part of that uh, was my ability to sell a new account one each month or at least one each month for a whole calendar year. So if we just, if we're thinking accolades or, that kind of deal, I'd say that was my biggest success to
0: date. What would you consider a bad day in water treatment? Oh,
2: that's funny. That's, a, that's also a good question.
0: Some of the bad days, uh, maybe getting
2: an emergency call from a customer that's, you know, on the other side of your territory and it's pressing or it's pertinent for you to get over there, which will kind of, you know, screw your original plans up for the, the day or whatnot. Some of the other bad days, maybe maybe lose an account. Maybe there's, you know, a corporate agreement or an RFP came out where, you know, they had a vested interest with doing business with a particular water treatment company. So you're kind of shown out the door and, and by no control of your own. And then, you know, oftentimes too, some of these RFPs, they're just looking for the lowest bidder. They're not thinking about the overall value you're bringing so they're just looking for the you know, cheapest cost. And that's, that's also a tough, tough pill to swallow sometimes when you know the value, value you could bring to a plant or the improvements you could help out with to ultimately help their bottom line and make them more successful. You know, oftentimes, what's the saying? You
0: get what you pay for. And I think that that holds true to what we do as well. I always take it as a personal defeat when a customer says, we're going to go with another vendor because they are a cheaper price. I always feel that I didn't do enough to show what our value is to help them document it so they could see that it's more than just the invoice they're paying. It is all the value of all the technicians that are coming into that company. You feel the same way when you lose an account? Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that I I still struggle with is not taking
2: those losses personally. I look at it as a learning opportunity of how I could have done something differently. Sometimes, you know, no matter what I I do, it's out of my control. It's, it isn't something personal, but I always strive to learn from those events, you know, and, and look back on it of, did I present them with all the facts? Were, were my service reports, documenting or detailing some of the ways that I was really helping promote savings, you know, because oftentimes th- that water treatment cost is a drop in the bucket compared to some of the bigger costs, whether it's fuel, water, man hours, I mean, you name it. That's a, that's a sliver in the overall pie. So could I have done a better job showing them the value that, that I bring or what savings I've brought, that's kind of what I look
0: back and think about. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I love how you stated that it's a learning experience. And if we can learn something from the experience, then that means we are going to get better the next time that opportunity comes around. And I'm just thinking, this week, I got a customer back that we lost six years ago. So right when you were getting into water treatment, we were getting fired from this location. And something that a gentleman told me a long, long time ago was, you're going to lose business, but make sure you're always graceful in that process. And I let the people know that uh, anything that we could do to let us know, we were always down the road and we could come and help them out quickly. Well, it took six years, but now we are back in that facility. And I have dozens of stories like that. So if you use it as a learning experience, if you, you accept it gracefully, you never know, most likely they're going to ask you to come back.
2: Couldn't agree more. You always, you always want to leave on good terms. You always never want to bash your competition as well. And I've had the same thing happen to me as well, Chase. You know, a year, two years later, they're calling back
0: up saying, hey, we didn't realize what we were getting when we were with you. Oh, those are great calls, aren't they? Yep, yep. Okay. We're talking about losing an account. Let's, let's change the script a little bit. So you've received an award for selling new accounts. So what can you tell us? What are some techniques? What should we be doing in selling new accounts? Well, there's, there's definitely
2: multiple ways or angles to sell new accounts. One of my favorite ways is referrals through mechanical contractors I mean they're they're trusted in plants. they live and die. These guys are heroes because you know if they fix a piece of equipment and the downtime of that piece of equipment, time is money so i've I've really utilized some of uh, my mechanical contractor contacts. That's definitely helped me succeed or be brought into new places. It's getting tougher and tougher, especially. With COVID, you don't necessarily get to go knock on a door or make, you know, introduce yourself or, you know, oftentimes there's nobody even manning the front desk or, you know, there's a phone with numbers to call, but there's not a sheet letting you know, you know, who you should be getting a hold of. So COVID has definitely changed things as far as prospects go and and new business. I'd like to hear some of the strategies that you and your team have
0: been using to kind of combat that during these trying times. Well, there's no doubt about it. It's definitely a different arena that we have to sell in. And if we keep doing the same thing, the same ways that we did them before the pandemic, I don't think anybody's going to be successful. And I think uh, pretty much everybody has realized that. So, Cold calling is just very different these days. Uh, I remember where I couldn't get into a plant, and I noticed that every day around the same time, uh, a bunch of workers would come out and they would smoke and take their, their breaks. And one day I decided to, to bring some pizzas and uh, I gave pizzas to everybody and I asked them, who do you think I need to talk to? And they said, oh, well, that's Barry. And they took me right in to meet Barry. And we have that account to that day. I don't think you're doing a lot of that during the pandemic. So we have to think differently. And, and I bring that story up because that was how we were thinking differently during that time. So many people today, they're maybe nervous to meet in person, so there's a lot of uh, Zoom calls that are going on, but I could not agree more. It is so much more powerful when you can get a warm referral, and if somebody refers you over to somebody else, have that person call the person they're referring while you're there, maybe even on speakerphone tell them a little bit about your accolades, not you tell them, but have the the referring person tell them. And then I used to always do that and invite them both to lunch together so we could talk about the experience that we started the original account up with and then bring into how we're going to start this new business up. But again, during the pandemic, probably the best we can do is a Zoom call which honestly is a little bit less expensive because you're not buying lunch and it's a lot more efficient because there's no drive time. So if you think about how do you do the same things that you've done, but you change them. So now you're safe during these times and you're keeping other people safe. I think you can be successful in sales during these weird times. I definitely agree, Trace. I think that's a great perspective to give the nation. I appreciate you asking me that. I want to shift gears just a little bit. Now, you are a member of the Rising Tide Mastermind. You were one of my first members. We started last January, and I'm on this show talking about the Rising Tide Mastermind to the Scaling Up Nation, and I think the nation expects me to hold the Rising Tide Mastermind in a high regard because I started it. You provide a perspective where you can tell the nation your firsthand experiences with the mastermind group. So I'm hoping we can have a little dialogue about that. And I want to start out by asking, what were you looking for and why did you join the Rising Tide Mastermind?
2: Well, a big part of why I joined is, like I mentioned earlier, I'm almost addicted to self-development and improvement and continuing to make myself better and better and better as time goes on. And uh, I thought it would be a great opportunity to kind of further develop myself and my career. And then, you know, knowing that we would all come together as a group, I, I long for that sense of community. And, you know, the Rising Tide Mastermind has definitely given me a whole lot of people to talk to, people to bounce ideas off. So yeah, the, the big reason was to kind of employ myself with the tools to be successful and have a you know, common group that we all shared a vision of helping each other out through self-improvement
0: and development. So you've been involved for a year. Would you say that you have received what you were looking for? Yeah, Trace, I've definitely found what I was looking
2: for. And, and it's been really exciting to be a part of a group that we all share this common interest to making each other better and holding each other accountable for for things that we want to succeed with it's been a game changer for me and i I'd, I'd encourage more people you know whether it's the rising tide mastermind group or a different mastermind group it's a way to really continue to develop and find that sense
0: of community where everyone's got your back and we're all in the same boat trying to help each other out. When I talk to people for the first time that are considering joining the Rising Tide Mastermind, they normally ask me two questions and I'm gonna ask you these same two questions one, they don't know what a mastermind is. So I'm hoping that you can explain to the group, you know, why we call it a mastermind, what exactly that is. And then, secondly, people think that since we're all in the same type of business, that we're just getting together answering each other's technical problems. So, how would you address the nation on those two issues? So, a mastermind group is basically a group of members where we're all, you know,
2: helping and striving to be a resource, you know, almost, almost like a team or a community. Um, Sometimes we get into technical stuff, but oftentimes it's just, you know, anything and everything you can think of, you know, bring a, bring a problem to the group. And instead of one person thinking about strategies or tactics to to be successful or to kind of um, achieve what you want to achieve. You have many different minds collaborating and working together. And I've just, it's crazy what that can actually do when you have a group of people rallying to solve an issue or to give
0: perspective um, rather than doing it on your own. Sean, what do you think about the books that we've read this past year? So books have been great, Trace, and it's, it's
2: really helped, you know, kind of keep us accountable as far as we're reading this all together. We're showing up for these mastermind calls and, and we want to all, you know, be able to discuss these books and, and really dissect them so we can have handles for the applications and use the information we're gathering or gaining from the books in our day-to-day life. And w- when you have a vast variety of individuals, reading a book together, you really get some interesting or different perspectives because all of our minds don't work the same. You know, I could be reading something and picking up information in this way and somebody else could be picking it up and reading it in a different way. So that collaboration of really being able to discuss the books as a group gives you
0: a totally different perspective than if you were doing it alone. Couldn't agree more. And just recently, we've had members sort of take the front seat and teach certain chapters of the book. And it's been really interesting. Everybody has a different style on how they do that because everybody gets something different out of what we read. The things I think they might talk about, they might pick or they might pick something else. And I have to say the role play that your group did for habit six for the seven habits of highly effective people, where there was an issue and then one, one team was the the building engineer and the the other team was the water treatment professional. I just think that was outstanding. And that was a hundred percent from how somebody wanted to share what they learned in that
1: book.
2: Yeah, that was that was great. And uh there were some chuckles too with that role playing and whatnot. I thought that was it was interesting having Mark and Connor and Eric kind of role play that scenario. It was pretty interesting
0: and comical at the same time. For people in the Scalab Nation that are listening to this and it is intriguing to them, what would you say makes a good candidate versus a bad candidate? Trace, I'd say a good candidate is somebody who's
2: willing or dedicated to spend the time required of really being a part of the mastermind group. I mean, that could be reading books, or doing some of the tools and, you know, assignments, check-ins, some of the things we're doing to collaborate as a group and really make e- each other better. If you come unprepared, you're really, you're not just letting yourself down, you're letting the group down as a whole. So you got to be dedicated to it. You got to, you know, be committed in order to be successful. So the time commitment is, is one thing and,
0: and the dedication you know, and follow through is another. Sean, you touched on something that's probably the biggest objection that I come across when I'm talking to people that are thinking about joining the Rising Tide Mastermind. And it's about time. And people say, I'm already too busy. I don't have time to join the Mastermind. And I normally tell them that this is the one hour a week that changes all the other hours of the week. Again, I think people expect me to say something like that. What's your point of view after living this for an entire year? I think actually being a
2: part of the mastermind group has helped immensely with my time management skills as a whole. So one of the books we read, you know, 12 week year, there's a part in there that, you know, educates you on how to assign different time blocks or how to schedule your time. And I'd say the mastermind group has actually made me more successful with my, my time management because I'm able to kind of put things in places and, and that helps me be successful because I'm not chasing my tail all the time trying to keep, you know, my head afloat. Uh, I'm organized and the time commitment so far for the mastermind group has only helped me, you know, with my time management skills. So I think you know, you got to kind of think about that perspective as well. Hey, you're dedicating some time to this, but ultimately it's making you better as a whole. And are you worth investing in yourself to make yourself more productive?
0: I'd say that's that's a pretty simple question to answer there. I always tell people in addition to this conversation that normally we're busy working in the business and this allows us to work on the business and on ourselves what would you say how that is true being in the mastermind over the past year
2: well once again uh it's a matter of a collaboration or a bunch of different perspectives coming together it truly all boils down to you you're going to get out of it what you put in and i can't praise the mastermind group i've been in enough just with the tools and resources it's given me and also you know the the network you know i have a group of people that i can call on you know either for advice or you know a variety of different reasons i think you know the saying work smarter not harder you know it's a direct correlation with the mastermind group it's it's
0: giving you you those tools to be more efficient Well, thank you for letting the Scaling Up Nation know the firsthand experience that you've had. I'm really proud. We're up to 40 members. We've got four Rising Tide Mastermind groups. And it seems like the water treatment industry is really embracing this idea. And I have to tell you, selfishly on my own, getting to to meet you, Sean, uh, getting to know you at a higher level and being able to see where you've come From just a year's time and all the things that you've been able to achieve, I have really enjoyed that. So thank you for inviting me on that journey. Well, thanks for allowing me to be part of it, Trace. It's been great. Well, let's get back to water treatment. So a lot of new water treaters listen to this podcast and they hear somebody like yourself that's been in the industry for six years that has seen some great water treatment success and they want to know, how do I get there? What advice do you have for them?
2: Uh, I would say utilize your resources. You know, this, this industry, it's, it's like an onion is the best way I can describe it. There's many, many, many layers and try not to overwhelm yourself because you don't know it all. I mean, quite honestly, nobody knows it all and and people specialize in in certain things. So if there is any piece of advice I could give to Scaling Up Nation, it's number one, you know, be patient, try not to feel overwhelmed, utilize your resources and uh, invest in yourself. You know, if there's a particular topic that you want to learn more? Well, there's resources, you know, there's tons of information that you can gather to to educate yourself
0: and and to feel confident about, you know, whatever the technical topic is. Sean, one of the issues that many water treatment company owners are facing right now is that people are either aging out of the industry and they're looking for people to replace or their businesses are growing and they're trying to find new faces for their companies. What advice do you have for somebody who's looking to find somebody else or somebody who's maybe thinking about making a career change into water treatment like you did?
2: Uh, I would say be upfront and, and kind of you know lay out the expectations or kind of you know, explain what a day would look like. Some of the things that you, what you do in the field, you know, be transparent early on and let people know, Hey, you know, this, these are some of the things you're going to be doing. Um, I think that saves a lot of time. Um, and quite honestly, investment in somebody, you know, we've had people who will get six months, a year into it, and they'll hit that, that wall where they're like, okay, I've been overwhelmed this long. Maybe this isn't for me. I think a lot of time could have been saved if you have that conversation early on of, you know, these are the expectations. These are the, the tactics and ways we're going to help, you know, invest in you. But yeah, finding a candidate these days is tough. And we have, we have a lot of people who are getting to that retirement age the other thing I want to touch on is this is a very male-dominated industry, and quite honestly, it doesn't have to be. I've I've worked with some fabulous women over the years who have, who have really you know surprised me as far as how successful and and the value they bring to customers. So I would encourage more women to get into the industry. I know that there's some resources, Women of Water and, and some others, but I just I wanted to. You know, make it a point to touch on that that topic if we're talking about new um, candidates that
0: let's start embracing or encouraging women, more women to get into the industry. That might be a good tactic. Sure. And the women that I can think of, just like yourself, are uh, highly successful and uh, very good at what they do. So I think the only prerequisite is not what you look like. It's that you want to make this industry better because you're in it. And if you can do that, all people need to apply that That think that way. Don't you agree? I couldn't agree more. Yes, Trace. Sean, you mentioned that a lot of people will leave after about a year because, let's face it, especially if you're coming from a non-related industry into the water treatment industry, you're feeling overwhelmed for that entire year. And people think, oh, I don't want to feel this way throughout my entire career. So I'm just going to end it at a year. So Sean, you've been in this industry for six years. So what was your experience with that?
2: Uh, Well, you know, one thing that really helped kind of make me feel more confident was having mentors, having people that were in my corner. So if I did come up, you know, and experience something I wasn't familiar with, I had resources and people to kind of help me or coach me, you know, both on a professional and personal level. And and that's when I really started to, you know, those bonds connected with some of those people I've had and been fortunate to have in my life as mentors. I I think that's when the gears really switched and I I started feeling more confident. I still don't know it all to this day. But one thing I, I will say is, I know how to tap into the resources to find the answers. And that brings me to another topic is when you're with a customer, if you don't know the answer, don't lie. You know, Let them know, hey, I'm not sure. I will do some digging and follow up with you. But integrity is everything in this business. And and if you don't have that, it's not going to be long before you realize you're not going to be successful.
0: Sean, do you think the people that left the industry because they felt overwhelmed could have done something differently to still be in the industry? Yeah, maybe, you know, be
2: patient, take the time, maybe dedicate the time outside of the normal work week to kind of invest in your technical um, skills or knowledge. And then, you know, also time and territory management. It takes time to really, you know, build momentum. And I don't think in one year, anyone's going to turn into somebody who's super, super successful or knows it all. You gotta be patient, you gotta put your time in and you gotta be dedicated to continue to develop and you gotta be hungry for the knowledge. You gotta go out and seek it because nobody's gonna do it for you. You gotta
0: take the initiative. So I really agree with you. I think, and this is what we try to do in the Rising Tide Mastermind, is to elevate everybody up out of the day-to-day so we can work on ourselves. And a lot of people, they just stay in the day-to-day. And if all they're doing is going from account to account and running pinks and blues and doing the tasks that they've learned to do and not trying to figure out the the why behind them and all the things that will help them get less overwhelmed, then of course they're going to feel that way. And I know there are people out there listening today that are thinking, well, I'm so busy with doing all these day-to-day tasks. How am I possibly going to do these extra things? And the point is, you have to. If, if you keep living your day-to-day life by default, it's never going to get better. So I love the way that you answered that question. What is some advice to elevate yourself when you're in that overwhelmed feeling, you're just doing the day-to-day stuff? How do you get out of that so you can start working on the day? I would go back to the conversation about tapping into
2: your mentors. So I guess for me, That really sparked, you know, a level of excitement, being able to have that conversation or build rapport with, you know, some of these mentors I've been fortunate enough along the way to uh, have in my corner that really kind of, you know, sparked a fire, fed the fuel, whatever you want to say, to, to really make me want to take it to the next level.
0: Shauna, sounds like one of the ways that you've been able to come out of the day-to-day to start working on the day-to-day is utilizing other people. And, and you call them mentors. I call them mentors, too. So I'm curious, one, what advice do you have for somebody finding a mentor? And who have been some of your water treatment mentors? So as far as advice for finding a mentor, I think you got to
2: put yourself in a vulnerable place where you're willing to kind of drop your guard and get to a point where you feel like you can ask, you know, quote unquote dumb questions or questions that might make you feel like you're dumb. Um, If if you can break that and just know that you're seeking, you're seeking knowledge. It's not a matter of, you know, if you're dumb or not, it's, it's that hunger or passion to actually want to learn, you know, obviously you've been a huge mentor to me you know, through the mastermind group, we've really, you know, been able to connect and, and build a close relationship. And I'm very, very grateful for that, Trace, having you in my corner. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, having you in my corner has helped immensely. You know, another person that comes to mind early in my career, um, Steph, who was the technical director at, at the first company I worked with, she really helped, you know, fuel the fire. If I had questions, she was always there. Um, she provided me with information, you know, study materials, things that I could do on my own time, because quite honestly, you know, she could tell that I was hungry and passionate about learning, and, and she kind of really helped to put the resources and tools in front of me. You know, some other people uh, along the way, I, I would say, you know, Bill Bill Hook, he was always in my corner and, and really helped me in, in both Professional and personal way, you know, it gets it gets lonely when you're on the road every day, all day, and sometimes you can feel like you're on an island. And uh, Bill Bill was always there to to lend an ear, or if I would experienced something I hadn't seen before, he'd give me encouragement or advice. I think the common theme here is a lot of my mentors I've been blessed and fortunate to have in my life. They've all been people that have helped. Uh, feed my passion for knowledge. You know, Mike Mowbray, my my new technical director, Steve Blumke over at Fremont. Him and I have really, you know, had some really interesting discussions about chemistries and different things. And and I'm a dork. I like having those conversations for whatever reason it excites me. They're not for everyone, but yeah, having people in my corner and, and dropping your guard, being able to put yourself in a vulnerable place. Has truly ensured my success and development
0: throughout throughout this journey I've had. So, Sean, you brought something up I want to touch on. Uh, You talked about, you know, some of the mentors in your life and how we need to find a mentor. But a lot of us don't because we're worried we're going to ask a stupid question. So we never ask the question. My question to you is, have any of your mentors ever said, That's a dumb question. Never, never. And that's part of
2: the reason why, you know, those relationships were so successful or still successful to this day. I would would encourage the nation to not be fearful. We're all going to have questions. And the sooner you can, you know, drop your guard or put yourself in that, you know, quote unquote, vulnerable state,
0: the better off you're going to be long term. And that is great advice. All right, Sean. One final question before we get into the lightning round: How do you find new information and learn about the topics you want to learn about in the water treatment industry? Well, Trace, there is a
2: plethora of information out there for us. We're we're very fortunate for that. Some of the resources I've used and continue to use would, you know, first off, the AWT TRTM uh, manual. That that's been a huge resource. The analysts, you know, the quarterly magazines that come out. Some of the AWT webinars, like just yesterday, I was listening to one on stabilized chlorine, which was pretty fascinating to me. LinkedIn can be another great resource. You know, there's a lot of technical papers to read on there or to kind of comb through and kind of continue to learn more and more things. I've been fortunate to have, you know, some in-house trainings, whether it's videos, activities, technical papers, those kind of things. I've also utilized a lot of books. Some of these books I wouldn't classify as reads. I would classify them as more of a, a technical resource. So if, if you have a topic you're interested in, well, that's in the book, but you're not going to read it front to back in one sitting or you know, some of those books are the best handbooks, Drew Principle. Colin Frames got a series of books, two on boilers, one on cooling, even something as simple as, you know, the ASHRAE 188 standard. That's another huge resource that we need to be able to understand. You know, there's, there's also some things I, I look at I, and read, you know, some podcasts. I'm big into, you know, health and wellness podcasts. We're on the road all the time, so I'm just continuing to try to pick up knowledge day in and day out because I'm so fascinated by learning, and I'm you know,
0: a forever learner, I guess. That's a bad way to put it. No, I think it's a great way to put it. No, I'm curious. If we were to look at your podcast list, what will we see on it? So some things like Lewis Howes has a good one. I, I like listening to Dr.
2: Rhonda Patrick. She's got some fascinating health stuff on that. Um, And then I like to listen to some fun ones too, like Joe Rogan's podcast. I'm actually reading this new book that's kind of off the wall. I have these audible credits that keep showing up and I got to use them. So on the road, I'll oftentimes listen to books. And the new one I'm listening to is by Wim Hof. So he's a Dutch athlete and it's, it's kind of goes into cold therapy and breathing techniques, kind of off the wall subject, but it's, it's those kind of things that fascinate me. And when I'm on the road, if there's not a new episode of Scaling Up,
0: there's, there's got to be other resources that I can use to kind of fill that windshield time as well. Well, fair enough. As long as Scaling Up is on your number one list. Yeah, well, I get excited you know, when those come out Friday. That's the first podcast
2: I listen to most Fridays. Let me ask, do you ever re-listen to episodes? I do. Yeah, I do. There was a film forming a uh, means, I think that was a three part episode. It was, it was. Where it took a couple of times of me listening to that for it all to kind of sink in. And that's the other thing. It's not like you're gonna learn everything or, you know, retain all the information in one sitting. You know, oftentimes you gotta you gotta listen to something more than once or you gotta read something more, more than once before
0: it'll actually sink in. Yeah, I was working with somebody to help us develop statistics for the podcast. And we were analyzing how many times people listen to episodes multiple times. And the, the people we were working with, they, they didn't believe us. They thought we were getting the data wrong. So they started collecting the data. And they said it it's unheard of for a podcast to have so many people listen to episodes multiple times. So I'm just fascinated with that. And uh, I'm glad that we're able to put information out to the Scaling Up Nation that obviously you and other listeners can find useful. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I think that just speaks to some of the, you know, technical
2: or information. You, you, you've had some pretty prestigious people on the podcast that shared
0: a ton of information, and it's really the who's who of water treatment. Sean, I think many will include you on that list. So are you ready for the lightning round? I am. I knew this was coming. And uh, it's it's interesting to hear how different people answer these questions. So it should be fun. Yeah. And that's the whole point of this. They're the same questions to, to all my guests. So people can compare and contrast what their answers are. So my first question, you can now go back in time and talk to your former self on your first day as a water treater. What advice would you give yourself? I would say number 1 be patient.
2: You know, it's going to take some time before you're going to feel like you can be confident going out there and and be successful. Try not to overwhelm yourself as much as you did. Maybe take some more time to enjoy life instead of just continuing to seek all this technical knowledge. Have fun with it, you know. This is a really interesting industry to be
0: a part of and uh you can have fun with it. You know, Sean, you mentioned you like to use audible to read. If we were to look in your book queue, what books would we find? Some of the books I've recently listened to are the seven habits of highly
2: effective people. We read that one in the mastermind group, uh, the miracle morning traction, the advantage, uh, principles, 12 week year. Uh, another good one was can't hurt me by David Goggins. I mean, I'm on the road all day, every day. So these, these books uh, really help, you know, keep me productive. I, I like to be productive at all times. So when I'm sitting in the car and can't do much, these kind of keep me occupied and keep me engaged in, in new content and self-development,
0: which is very important to me. That's awesome. Do you ever listen to Audible on a higher speed than what the author is reading it at? I've had
2: people kind of offer that recommendation in the past but for me I like to listen to it at the you know the speed at you know, 1.0 or whatever if it gets
0: too fast I find that it's hard for me to retain it all I totally agree I've been in a car with somebody who you know when you first turn the car on and then their audible starts playing because that was what was playing before And it was so incredibly fast. There was just no way that they could have picked up any content from that. But I think it made them feel good that they could check the box that they've listened to that book. We don't have time to do that. Make sure you're getting the content out of what you're taking the time to read. Couldn't agree more, Trace. Well, Sean, obviously Hollywood will eventually make a movie about your life. Who plays Sean McRae? I think I would play myself. Has anybody ever answered it that way? nobody has ever answered it that way. (laughs) Interesting. All right. You get points for that one. My final question is now you have the ability to go back throughout history and talk to anybody you want to talk to. Who would it be with and why? I would say my
2: grandparents. They were all deceased by the time I was brought into this world. So I think it would be fascinating to have a conversation with them and kind of learn more
0: about who they were as as people and individuals well sean i've definitely enjoyed having you on scaling up h2o i know a lot of people listening in you have given them a lot of ideas and a lot of motivation to think about how they can become more successful not only as a water treater but also as an individual well thanks chris it's been a pleasure to be on the podcast and i uh, look forward to
2: hearing when this episode gets released
0: Nation, I've got to tell you, I am super impressed with Sean. I'm proud to call him my friend. And I get to connect with Sean each and every week because he is a member of the Rising Tide Mastermind, And I have to tell you, as the facilitator of the Rising Tide Mastermind, just to see where Sean was, which was very impressive when he first started the Mastermind, and how he's challenged himself and others have challenged him throughout the year he has just made tremendous strides. So Sean, very proud of you. Thanks for everything that you do. And thanks for coming on Scaling Up H2O and sharing your story with the Scaling Up Nation. Well, folks, if you have somebody you want me to interview, Please don't keep that to yourself. Let me know who that is, and I will reach out to them. You want to know how you can do that? Well, I'm not going to keep that a secret. You can go to ScalingUpH2O.com, and you will see right there on the main menu, there is a Show Ideas button. If you click on that, you can tell me anything you want to hear on the show, if you have questions, if you want certain guests. If you want me to explore any topic, that is where you do it. And folks, I love it when people ask me questions and I answer questions from the nation. And I love it when I can play your voice asking that question. If you've ever wondered how we do that, it's very simple. When you go to ScalingUpH2O.com, Right there on the homepage, you will get a pop-up on the right-hand side of your screen that says record voicemail. You can use your device. And I have to tell you, it is amazing the microphones that they put in phones now. So if you have an iPhone or an Android and you record via that microphone, you are going to sound great on the podcast. I can play you asking your question and I can answer that question for you on the air. So don't keep that stuff to yourself. Let me know. Let my staff know what it is you want to talk about. Folks, remember, if you enjoy this podcast, please post a comment in your favorite podcast player. That helps us with ratings, and when we get better ratings, we get more listeners. When we get more listeners, we get more information from the Scaling Up Nation, and we are talking about the right things. I know I'm talking about the right things because you guys are sending that stuff to me. So I hope you have a safe week and I'll be with you next week on a brand new episode of Scaling Up H2O. Nation, how many times have you heard me talk about the Rising Tide Mastermind and you're wondering if you should make the next step to find out about becoming a member Well, I recently asked Michelle Farmery about her experience and what she had to say about that very question.
3: To someone who is considering joining the Rising Tide Mastermind, I would say absolutely do it. Um, I know it it seems like a time commitment, kind of like AWT in the source where everyone says, oh, it's only one hour a week, but it ends up being so much more. It may be one hour a week that you meet and then you have your little breakout accountability groups where you can meet for five minutes, ten minutes. But it's truly, it's not a big time commitment. The time that you will put into meeting with this group and really focusing on how to change your mindset and, and be more accomplished and accountable will pay dividends in the long run for how you're going to utilize all of your time beyond that. So your time management will increase and then i also think that it would be beneficial because if you could ask your employer to possibly help with the cost then if they're willing to do it it's an investment in you and i think having an employer sit there and be willing to take that risk on you and put that investment in you shows a lot of trust in you and i i think that that would then help you personally i know for me myself having my employer sit there and make the investment because mine covers the cost. Having them make the investment in me makes me feel a sense of pride and makes me want to work harder to you know, accomplish more things from a work standpoint, not even just a personal, because Mastermind helps, yes, on the personal side, but also on the business side. You know, you're, you're able to share with other industry colleagues who have so much experience and there's webinars and just training opportunities galore to learn from and grow from. And so if you have an employer invest in you and get you to, to change your approach and change your productivity, I, it's just, it's an incredible feeling um, of accomplishment from, from a work standpoint and a personal standpoint.
0: Nation, the first step is always the hardest, but the great thing about becoming a member of the Rising Tide Mastermind is once you make that first step on your own, you have an entire group of people that are helping you with every step thereafter. Sound too good to be true? Well, folks, it's not. When people get together to help each other, it is amazing what happens. To find out more about becoming a member of the Rising Tide Mastermind, go to ScalingUpH2O.com forward slash mastermind.